Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Hello, hello, and happy Monday, everybody. I've It's funny on that first Monday back when you go back to work or start seeing people, uh, depending on how you spent your Thanksgiving, we cocooned. We were very cozy and uh, just a very quiet Thanksgiving. I know a lot of people had to travel. As you just heard on the news, apparently travel was uh, pretty smooth. There weren't that many cancellations. Uh, it was heavy. But it sounds like, uh, for the most part, things went uh, as hoped, as best as could be expected on uh, Thanksgiving travel weekend. Joining me in studio is Dr. Jason Bissell from Chikumaku. As you heard earlier, also the commercial about uh, taking tests and things like that, how acupuncture can help you. How are you doing? How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was great. Thank you. Um, we have a large family here, and we, uh, we usually have about 30 people for Thanksgiving. We only had about 25 this year, so it felt a little bit smaller, but... 25 feels small. <laughs> but it's amazing with my family that we all get along. Yeah. I know some families can't get six people in a room without there being fights and factions, but we all generally enjoy each other's company, just laugh and support each other, and it's, it's wonderful to see them. I, I have a smile plastered on my face for no comment on what uh, it's like if we have We only had five people, so we were good. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't reach the sixth <laughs> threshold. Okay. We, uh, we could. We have, we, my husband and I, between the two of us, have 23 nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. Uh, between the two of us have seven. No, he's got five. Whatever. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot. A lot. Just good. Yes. Yeah. But the Thanksgiving was good. Yes. We had a, a wonderful meal. Uh, we watched some movies over the, the holiday. And uh, I, my favorite uh, Thanksgiving movie I could watch over and over again, which we actually kind of did. We started on Wednesday. And then the next day, my son, who had just come home, he was like, hey, don't you want to watch Home for the Holidays? <laughs> Which is uh, Holly Hunter, Robert Downey Jr., and Bancroft, Charles Durning. It's a great movie. Dylan McDermott, directed by Jodie Foster. Okay. It's, I don't know anything about it. I know. It is one of those classics. And you know what was funny is that the, it is a dysfunctional family. And my mom was watching and she goes, our family wasn't like that. And I'm like, no, I, I get that ours. I mean, it's just one family. It's, it's not an indictment on you. No, I don't know. <laughs> she like takes it that way. <laughs> so uh, one of the things, I, as I breezed in here, uh, I said, "Hey, can we talk about bone broth?" Because I did for the first time in years, very diligently put the uh, I got a big Ziploc bag. I put every everything, all the skin and the bones, into a bag, and uh, saved it. In the very next day, I cut up some carrots, some celery, onions, garlic, and bay leaves, and boiled it, and. Uh, and put that all in storage containers. And then afterwards, I'm like, yeah, what is, why do people drink bone broth? Have you followed these diets over the years where they say that bone broth is good for your gut health and joints and things like that? Bone broth is fantastic, and it's nothing new. Okay. What's new is us throwing away perfectly good parts of the animal and not using every last shred for each animal that we sacrifice for our food. Yes. There is so much nutrition in the bone broth. Um, it's good for the ligaments and the tendons, for the bones. It's highly nutritious. I haven't heard that it's specifically good for gut health. Okay. That's, that I, gut I health is a new, it feels, I mean, we're going to talk to the tummy whisperer on Friday, mm-hmm. but this feels, maybe I'm just hearing it more now, gut health and leaky gut and things like that. Yes, and those are two, the, well, they're, they're related here, but usually when people are talking about gut health, they're talking about the microflora, about okay. the bacteria. 
And that's why I'm drinking my kombucha here. That's why people take probiotics and why one of the great health benefits of kimchi. Ah, yes. Which you don't typically find in a bone broth soup. (laughs) No. But uh, especially in the winter, because it's a little bit heavier, it's a little denser, and we can handle that better in the winter. Bone broth, I am 100% behind. Don't throw away your bones. Turn them into broth. Reuse them. Get every last ounce of nutrition out of them. Are you on social media like the TikTokers? The do you watch reels ever? Do you ever find yourself scrolling? I am. I'm on YouTube. Okay. Um, my kids like the YouTube Shorts. I'm. Uh, I'm not on TikTok. I'm concerned about their privacy. Fair. Um, so, but, but you do you see ask? you do see some of the stories. Then there's a guy who does a lot of plant stuff, and like, did you know? And he's kind of he's kind of manic and high high energy. And of course, today because I'm sure my phone heard me talking about bone broth, uh, he be uh, mm-hmm. making the bone broth and then also then uh, broiling the bones and grinding them up into plant food. So, to your point about don't even throw those away, put that into the soil of your plants. That is wonderful. That's hardcore. I've never, that's <laughs> the first time I've heard of that. I know. I just saw it just before it came in. But yeah, it would take a really long time to compost. So if you grind it up, if you've got a grinder. <laughs> yeah, he said just use it, like if you get them soft enough and make sure you put them, you know, put them in the, in the oven to soften them up, mm-hmm. uh, heat them up to where they're soft. He just put it in a blender. I, I don't know what that would do to my blender, but I'm I'm concerned about that too. Right? But maybe if I had a cheap old blender, I would give it a shot. Exactly. And, and maybe it's maybe it's perfectly feasible. Now we have our goals for next Thanksgiving or the next time you have uh, a bunch of bones. Yeah, just your, call me Bone Crusher. Bone Crusher. Yeah. Well, because I was thinking about it today, because I so I started drinking uh, two cups of bone broth on Saturday, and trying to you know the thing about any. Whether it's a diet or trying something new is part of it is you have to be aware of your body. Like, how is this affecting mm-hmm. me? What am I eliminating? What am I adding? Kind of a thing, too. Is that, you know, we, we often talk about, you talk a lot about uh, Chinese nutrition and health, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there's a mindfulness to uh, different cultures when it comes to eating, isn't, isn't there? To just about every culture except for ours. <laughs> Yes. Awesome. We have been duped. There's been a concerted effort to get us to not think about what our food is, where it comes from, and what it's doing to us. They just break it down to calories, fat, protein, carbs, these individual constituents, and think that it's all generic, just what you're getting in each of those categories. And it makes such a difference if you're getting that from a Twinkie or if you're getting that from bone broth, the, the same amount of calories. It's going to affect your body completely differently. Right, and how you absorb it, how you're, yeah, because uh, I was looking at the nutrients of that. And I wonder, you know, uh, there's so much going on that, you know, obviously there's the ease of microwavable foods. I just saw, again, one of those little uh, Instagram uh, reels, somebody talking about one of the big things that he could point to the, uh, you know, tracking obesity in the United States was Crisco and using shortening and things like that. And mm-hmm. trans fats, I think we often talk about those. We don't, yeah, we, we're not, if you can't pronounce, the idea is, if you can't pronounce it, <laughs> maybe think twice. Yeah, if it wasn't in your grandmother's cabinet, or if you, 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 she wouldn't recognize it as food, then it's probably not food. Right. I've also heard it opined that the high fructose corn syrup is a main, yes. big culprit in why our bodies have changed over the last 40 years. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, a lot, a lot. And and I think that we, we kind of, you know, just write it off as to just it's easy, it's convenient. I try to follow that. And I learned this a, God, a long time ago. I feel like it was in my 20s when I saw a, a journalist talking about the healthiest way to go grocery shopping was to stay on the peripheries because yeah. you have your, right? Yeah, yeah. Shop the outside. 
Because that's where all the fresh stuff is. And, and according to the Asian diet, you can skip the dairy ca- counter, too. counter. Um, but the fresh produce, the fresh meat, and uh, the bulk grains you know, for using the beans and such. And there's some, some fine stuff on the inside, but it's mostly ultra-processed foods that our bodies don't know how to deal with. It's going to throw off our insulin production. It's going to throw off our energy. It's going to give us these sharp spikes in energy and a sharp crash, leaving us more hungry. It's going to be zapping our energy. And the microwaving, it seems very convenient. It's not very good for us. Um, at risk of sounding kind of woo-woo out here, it destroys the life force in the food. Okay. Uh, we don't eat for protein or carbs or nutrients or niacin. We eat for life. We eat things that are living. They have a life force in them. In our field, we call that chi. We put that in us. It gives us our chi. If you microwave a food, it'll still have all the protein, fat, carbs, and niacin, but it won't have any chi anymore because it explodes the molecules from the inside. So you'll be full, but you won't get any vitality out of it. That's why we have so much more lethargy. Wow. Plus, most of these microwave foods come in plastic. So you microwave them in plastic. The plastic leaches into you. We now know that plastic is very uh, endocrine disrupting. It can cause man to grow, men to grow moobs. It can cause infertility in women and um, all sorts of other hormone-related issues. So if you absolutely have to microwave something, please at least take it out of the plastic and put it on a ceramic or glass dish. But it's best to avoid it altogether. If you cut things up small, you can stir-fry things in five minutes. You can steam vegetables in five minutes. Do you know the best way to reheat? I know you don't. I know you stay away from dairy, but you know the best way to reheat uh, for a day-old pizza How's that? is in a pan. Yeah, a little, a little, little drop of oil because then it crisps up the crust, and you flip it over, it caramelizes the cheese. Ooh, it's really good. It's like almost better, I would say, than the day off. <laughs> okay, I will have to try that. We get get pizza a couple times a year. So. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and, and I. So my husband, uh, by the way, Steve. In case you're listening, see, the doc says the microwave is not healthy. It's. I know it's quick. I I try to stay away from it. I, but although I've had friends make fun of me for heating up my water in the morning in the microwave rather than turning on the kettle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I had to start doing that again. Yeah, we do use our microwave. We use it for the timer. <laughs> and we'll use it to uh, heat up the heating pads. Okay. Those little rice, rice bags that sure. you can use to throw over your shoulders. Yeah, that's about the main thing. Maybe once or twice a year, if we're in real hurry, we'll use it to, to microwave some food. But yeah. it came with the house. It sits there. It's like new condition. Compared, <laughs> is it over the range? One yeah. of those? Yeah, over yeah. the range. So it's just kind of a hood. Yeah. And you had mentioned here that it's convenient and it's quick, but uh, I'm, I'm reminded of a quote here. That if you don't make time for your wellness, you'll have to make time for your sickness. Mm, That's intense. And another quote that I like is that uh, we pay a very high price for our cheap food. Yeah, it's true. So we're thinking in the short term, and we need to be investing for the long haul. So take a couple minutes, nourish yourself well, feed yourself good food. If you're putting cheap gas in your car and it started knocking, you'd say, I'm going to put some better gas in. And most of the patients I see and most of the people I interact with, their cars are knocking. Folks, we're heading into, uh, you know, we just had a heavy eating weekend and we the, the uh, buffet continues through the holiday season. So it's it's going to be mindful. You're going to still have some of the things that, uh, you know, are, are your favorites, like maybe your stuffing and your pumpkin pies. Um, it's, it's good to balance that out and, and be aware of what you're putting into your body. We're hanging out with Dr. Jason Bissell, uh, Chikumaku.com, a Chicago community acupuncture over uh, over by there. I always forget. Is it Nagel address or Milwaukee? Milwaukee, Devon, and Nagel. Yeah. 
Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah. The address is on Milwaukee, but we face Nagel. Right. It's right there with the, uh, they got the UPS store there. You've got the Dunkin' Donuts. The mm-hmm. Superdog is right. That's probably the bigger landmark. That, I always yeah, mention everybody it. knows the Superdog. Super dog. Yeah. What's her name is again? Uh, is it Ira and Er? No. I can't remember the names of the dogs. The hot dogs have names. I, I think yes. one might be Irv. Irv, yeah, Irv and sure. Myrna, maybe. I can't remember. It's it's a couple that uh, mm-hmm. that founded uh, Superdog. Oh, okay, yeah, and that's uh, that. Also, I've been I've been good about. Uh, I try to, to every few months. I try not to have too much of the of the, of the mm-hmm. you know of the meat variety type thing. I'm not supposed to. Which I think we talked about that before too. I did like a um, my I eat for my blood type, or I did for a mm-hmm. while. It helped my migraines, but it also might have been that mindfulness aspect to it, where I'm paying attention to what makes me start to feel a little bit off, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. This is a, 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 a little thought. We're hanging out with Dr. Jason Bissell, Chikumaku.com. Let's take a break right here. We'll come back in just a moment. I want to thank our sponsors, Kids Above All. They have a fundraiser going on right now for Christmas. They would love donations or toys, books, uh, help keep these kids uh, cheerful through the holiday season. Many of them have survived trauma, some living in group homes. Uh, they also have a program. Uh, if you're ever, have you have ever considered uh, fostering or adopting a child, go to kidsaboveall.com and uh, find out about their seasonal fundraising and uh, how you can support their programs. We also want to thank our friends over at Monaco Brewing Company, of course, Kirk Bangstead, uh, leading the charge in the war against public education, amongst other things. Uh, we uh, check in with Kirk every week and look forward to talking to him and see how he's doing soon. And uh, you can go to the Monaco Brewing Company website as well as their Facebook page and follow their journeys. They've got great T-shirts for the holiday season. Uh, you got to check it out. They got some. Of the, you know how in Illinois we have uh, from the Blues Brothers, I hate Illinois Nazis. So they've made a Blues Brothers shirt with I hate Wisconsin Nazis. Uh, so take a look at some of those uh, items as well as how you can pick up maybe some choice wine, choice uh, hard seltzer, and uh, of course, woke coffee, non alcoholic. Uh, nitro coffee in a can is such good stuff. And our friend Warren Price, who joined us in studio last week. Let me make sure I've got the uh, the correct phone number. You can call seven seven three two four eight twelve hundred to if you've got a uh, if you get into a, into a wreck, folks. He's the first person you want to call. Uh, member, what did he say? Make sure you have a pencil and paper in your car right now. Do you know if you have pencil and paper in your car so you get the information that you need from the other drivers and uh, write down the notes if you have an incident? So that's uh, EuropeanUS dot com, EuropeanUS Collision Sur- Sur- Center over at forty eighty North Broadway. More in a moment on WCPT eight twenty Heartland Signal. Hey there, it's your guy, Warren Price, from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200. That's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We are in studio with Dr. Jason Bissell. You can go to chikomaku.com. And he, he's always encouraged. You can you can correct me in real time because uh, sometimes I say things so fast that I forget. I, I don't get the pronunciation. So it's chikomaku.com. That's chai. Chicom Acu. A Chicom Acu. So it's Chicago Community Acupuncture over on Milwaukee Avenue near Devon and Nagel. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a, there's parking right there. Uh, you can grab you can grab your Dunkin' Donuts afterwards. <laughs> you can know. get your nails done. You can yes. get your hair did. How, how do they, do you like that nail salon over there? I haven't been there. <laughs> you Have know, you tried I, I haven't been. No, you but I do get it. my hair cut at the uh, Mademoiselle Salon. Oh, good to know. Two doors down from me. Yeah. Excellent. 
Excellent. Well, I was just telling uh, someone who is uh, expecting to deliver in February uh, some of the self-care that she should do leading up to her, her delivery date. Uh, and then in the middle of that, she's got the holidays, right? So it's a, it's a chaotic time. We're all going through a lot of chaos and stress. Uh, what are some of the ways that you see people, how that manifests and what they can do to manage that? Well, I see a lot of this with my patients that they start canceling appointments because they have too many other things to take care of, and then they start falling apart. I mean, not that I'm the only thing keeping them together, but I'm sure I'm not the only thing that they are letting fall to the wayside in their their zeal to take care of everybody else and to see everybody go to all these parties, get all these gifts and wrap everything. And you can get really get lost in that shuffle. And so my message to everybody is don't get lost in that shuffle. Right. Make sure that you're taking care of yourself during this time. Because a lot of us like to be caretakers. We like to be caregivers. And if you're no good, you're no good to anybody else. So you got to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Yes, it's great to see everybody. Yes, it's great to, to buy all the gifts. But pace yourself and, and make sure that you don't get lost in that shuffle. I agree. There, there is a, you know, we also are striving, some people are striving to recapture some tradition, some feeling that they had when they were younger or last year even, you know, and, and that's part of the, I think, part of the energy. Um, and, and I'm not saying let it go, but forgive yourself for not doing all the things that you meant. To, here's, and I say this about performing. No one knows what you meant to do. Mm-hmm. So your imagined achievements of being the superstar at the holidays, that's great. You will still be a superstar, but, you know, be a superstar to yourself and your family, too. Yeah. And nobody said that, say, 2008 was the way Christmas is always supposed to be. <laughs> the way it was that year is how it has got to be. And just, it was it was a good one for you. But this is a new year. It can be a new experience. Yeah. And there's also one of the things I think uh, is really hard. Uh, I know several people going through this this year. I know I went through it last year was grieving um, because you've recently lost someone ahead of the holidays. And that's another layer of stress because now you're, you know, you're it's that first time without them, too. And I think that we get to mourn that and, and celebrate the, the wonderful times we had. And as you mentioned, some, now it's a new a new way to have form traditions. Yes. And that's a great uplifting topic there, Patty. Sorry. <laughs> Happy holidays. Everybody's dead. Yeah. No, but I mean, but there are people who are like, I think that they, I know that when my father passed away, I was very, uh, it, it was, it, I felt it so intensely and he'd been gone for six months. It was just my first one. Yeah. I think it's there, a landmark. Yeah, it is a landmark. And I think that adds to some of the stress. But I think what I'm saying is that we have all this frenzy of people we have to see and gifts we have to buy. Uh, sometimes we're, we're trying to um, give that to the, our inner self, our kid. Do we think that that, you know, or whoever, whatever, whatever part of our past we're trying to relive, uh, you, you can hurt yourself, you know? Yes. We are all works in progress. Yes. We need to progress. Yes. And last year was great. This year is a different year. Exactly. And yes, absolutely. It can be very sad to have the first Christmas without somebody that you love. Maybe they're not dead. Maybe they've moved away. Maybe you've moved right? away. But we're always establishing a new normal. Yes. And the new normal won't stay either. Because we are in a constant state of flux here. We like to ignore that. We like to deny that. And that is one thing that the Buddhists are really big on is this delusion that we there's a sense of permanence here. That's what sets us up for suffering. Yes, it does. So enjoy what you have today, but it was never yours. It was never guaranteed to you. And when it's gone, there's no great injustice. There's something else there. I feel like a lot of Buddhists are not magas. <laughs> I, I, I hope not. 
<laughs> well, because because if there's no permanence, what would what would be there to make it great again? Right. <laughs> right. And they're also a little more peace-loving and have a broader perspective and uh, are not as in it for themselves as I think some of the megas are. Right. I, I think that uh, you make, make such great points uh, in the idea that, you know, celebrate that. Celebrate what you've had and then celebrate what you're going to have. A friend of mine did that uh, years ago, gave me that. She's like, it's not about what you've done. It's about what you're going to do. Um, you know, you can have those memories, look at the photos and create new ones. Yeah, I had a profound experience. I can't remember if we talked about this when my daughter graduated junior high. I was very sad. Like she was, I realized that she, her next step is into high school, and the next step after that is stepping out of my house. And I was thinking, okay, so I'm, I'm sad. I've lost all this time. You know, I wish I could have frozen time. And I was thinking, if I could have frozen it, when would I have chosen? Right. If I had stopped her at 10, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have 11. And 11 was right. great. So you have to... Lose these moments to yeah. have these moments. Yes, I and I say that say this as a the mother of a, of a fairly surly twenty. I mean, like you know, and and it's so funny because he'll now he recognizes when he does it when he's and I I just I'm not I'm not going to get in a fights with my son. Uh, he's incredibly mm-hmm. smart. Like, he doesn't even like looking at pictures of himself from when he was younger because he's like oh, I can't believe how naive and stupid I was. You know, I didn't know how bad the world was. I'm like, well, that means we did our job very well. We protected your innocence. I, you know, I didn't realize how angry you would be when you found out, you know, that there's war and, and genocide and, you know, all kinds of things going on and starvation and poverty. I, like, we did our best to, like, sort of tell you that there are people who need more than others. And we kind of were spread, spacing it out. <laughs> we didn't want to hit yeah. you all at once in kindergarten. Hey, kid, here's what the world's like. Yeah, welcome to the world. It sucks. <laughs> But there's another quote that I like a lot, that you, you can't be old and wise if you weren't once young and dumb. <laughs> right? I'm going to tell him that. Yeah. Hey, honey, can you write that down for me, Steve? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure before, I, I don't want to uh, ignore any, call, any questions we might have from any listeners, so I'm checking our text screen real quick, because I imagine that, as you mentioned, that, you know, some people maybe think, oh, you know, I'm so busy, I'm not going to keep that appointment, which one, uh, it's, can, you know, it's, it's not taking care of themselves, but also throws you off a little bit. And we're not, that's not, that's not why you brought it up. You just, <laughs> you're just mindful of the fact that it's one of the things that they feel like, ah, this is at the bottom of my list, which is self care. Mm-hmm. How are some of the ways acupuncture helps people through uh, the stressful seasons? Well, it lowers cortisol levels, the, the stress hormone. It's, that's a measurable effect, but it, on, a, on a more energetic level, people just feel more grounded and stable. They're less thrown by the daily slings and arrows of outrageous misfortune, as the bard would say, through Hamlet. Um, it can improve your sleep. It can improve your digestion. Um, so just the standard things everybody can benefit from. Also, we're going to be around a lot of our family. We're going to be around a lot of kids. So the kids are sick a lot. So it boosts the immune system. So we don't want to turn everybody's holiday gatherings into super spreader events. So get the acupuncture boosts the immune system so you'll have a better chance of making it through without catching something. All right. I'm making my appointments. I have to make one for Declan, too, because his uh, therapist just asked us today if we had tried uh, acupuncture for his plantar, plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. So we will, you'll be seeing us in the next week or two. Oh, would love to see you. <laughs> I think it was nice. The therapist is like, have you tried that yet? Because I really think that would be a good way to go. Oh, she must be listening to your show. Uh, <laughs> perhaps. So it's chikomaku.com, C-H-I-C-O-M-A-C-U.com. Correct. And the phone number? 
853-0920. Excellent. And I wish you a one. I'm not going to see you before Christmas. Not before Christmas. No. I will, I, I'm putting that down to make sure I have you for 530 on the last Monday. Uh, sometimes the calendar gets away from me. Uh, it's been just hectic. Oh, that's okay. It worked out fine today, It worked Patty. out great. I'm so glad that you came in. It was a lovely way to start off uh, the Monday. It really is. Um, it, you can't talk bone broth yeah. and uh, dead relatives. If you're gonna, <laughs> That's all on me. I bones apologize. Uh, thank you so much. Doug. It's a pleasure to see you. And uh, I wish you the very wonderful holiday season. You too. Uh, my best to your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will see you again at the end of December. Very good. Thanks, Patty. Everyone, go check out. Uh, go get your appointment for acupuncture with ChicoMaku.com. More after this on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We've had uh, conversations over the last several weeks when it comes to our, our neighbors who find themselves in a situation that we want to help. We want we want to know what organizations we can turn to. Uh, and when people are without shelter, especially heading into this incredibly cold season in Chicago, we already had snow today. Uh, we, we need to find out how to help, uh, what organizations are doing the work and joining us from DuPage pa- Pads. This is uh, April Redzik. Hi, April. Am I saying your last name correctly? Yes, you are. Thank Hi, Patty. For, hi. Good to see you again. You see came, it's funny being here when people come in. I'm like, where do I know you from? <laughs> where did I last see you? And uh, we've worked together before uh, at Kids Above All. Uh, our good friend, Senator Dan Katowski. Uh, I spoke to him today. And uh, we've, we've t- been talking a lot about these issues. So tell us about DuPage Pads. Sure. Uh, DuPage Pads has been around for about 37 years. Uh, we were born out of church basements and auditoriums. And the goal was to help people who are homeless have a safe place to stay. Um, Since then, we've grown into about 180 apartments of supportive housing in the community for people with disabilities um, or who are fleeing domestic violence. And we keep about 310 people sheltered each evening at a uh, renovated hotel in DuPage County. Excellent. And and this is something you need a lot. You need support from the community. There's a lot of, uh, I don't want to see this or why do I gotta, you know, there's a lot of uh, pushback instead of how can I help, right? What it, it's, it's sort of a weird reaction. So how can we help, right? When we, when we think about these things, um, you know, and when we have conversations with other people who are maybe um, just not as open to sure. having these conversations. Sure. A lot of ways people can help. An easy one is to volunteer. Um, you can volunteer at our pads or any pads shelter in our community. There's one in the northwest suburbs. Um, there's one in Evanston. There's one in Lake County. There's one in south suburbs. Um, we are all in this together, which is to give people a safe place to stay on a night like tonight. Um, don't be a not in my backyard person. Support affordable housing. Right. We, a major, major issue we're seeing across Illinois right now is even when there are resources and Governor Pritzker has supported a lot of um, rapid rehousing and supportive housing to get people who are staying in shelters into what is next, which is oftentimes an apartment of their own. If we can't use these funds, we can't use these resources without an apartment for people to move into. So the second right. half of that is ensuring that that and supporting that when it comes up in your community. Do you look at because I, I was thinking about this one day uh, because you see programs pop up with success. And that's the thing, too. We, we have success in different parts of the country and in Illinois. And, and it, it seems a lot of stop and go. 
like we have momentum and then, you know, then they'll tell you, oh, well, the budget isn't quite what we thought it was going to be. Even though we passed this, we're going to have to, you know, withdraw some of that. I've seen that happen. Uh, do you look at like other countries sometimes like Finland and Japan? I've done a little bit of research on the way what because <laughs> Japan has a sort of a harsh uh, way of dealing with uh, homelessness. I believe there's a penalty in Japan for being with, you know, like in doorways and things like that. Finland's program is some places need you to go to treatment before you can go through the program. Whereas Finland, it's just, we give you a house and we deal with everything afterwards. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Uh, housing first is considered a best practice. Yes. And uh, a lot of countries in Europe do it, or they'll even look at sometimes a hosteling model. Um, ways to get people to come in um, are traditionally more effective because for example, so on a night like tonight, we'll have 107 children staying with us in about 310 people total. Um, when they have any sort of circumstance, we can help them if they're with us. If they're on a park bench, we can't help them. Right. And if a kid is sleeping in a car, they can't get to school. Um, that's going to affect them generationally the next time around. Um, and they the entire family does not have safety or a way to get into any sort of social service they'd need. Half of women who come into shelter are experiencing either fleeing domestic violence or have experienced it in the past. So starting with a safe place to stay and finding that um, that trust is a really key first element that you're not going to have available if you don't first have a place for people to come into. Yeah. And, and th- there are so many reasons that people are without shelter. And when you talk about uh, f- people who are fleeing a domestic violence situation, there's there's so many uh, elements uh, involved in that. One, just even feeling like they can break away, right? And I've talked to uh, several women. One woman had, uh, had, and this is common, it, it, where they are able to secure a separate phone so that their abuser doesn't know that they've are yeah. developing a network, a support network to, you know, I, I need, I need somewhere to go tonight. I, you know, uh, I, I'm afraid to be alone with him kind of a thing. Cause sometimes even turning, you know, it, well, I don't want to get into some of the specifics, but, um, but there's also a shame element sometimes for women who are in these situations or people who are in the situation where they think I brought this on myself. I shouldn't have got, you know, I let this go on too long. Now there's nothing I can do there. Have you come across that sort of being afraid to even leave because they feel like they created their own circumstances? We see a lot of fear of leaving. We also see a lot of financial fear. Yes. If you haven't had your a credit card in your name, you don't have credit. Um, oh oftentimes the abuser will um, hold that person's ID And so step one oftentimes is just getting an ID so you can go even look for a job. Um, So oftentimes there are children involved in the circumstances as well. And now you're on your own. You don't have a place to stay. You don't have an ID. You don't have a job. um, You don't have child care and you don't have a support system to help you get there. Um, We've also had circumstances. We had a woman come stay with us, fled with her car, uh, with her children, and um, the spouse came and took the car from her. Um, She was brave. And she took him to court and the judge ruled for her and she got her car back. But it took a lot of advocacy. It took a lot of courage to get there. And in the meantime, she, yes, she also needed a safe place to stay. So um, our our world, the homeless services world, so many different pieces are tying together um, yeah. to, to cause and also to 
if we're going to find some solutions around it. How much, uh, and I know you've been there for how, for how long? A couple of years? Or? 20, I was a pandemic hire. Oh, I was going to say. I was hired in a uh, parking structure. Our board gathered me in lawn chairs, and my final interview was in a parking structure because it was 2020, and that's what we did. That seems so po- post-apocalyptic, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. It really does. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. And uh, how much did the, I mean, because you weren't there from before the pandemic, but I'm sure you've talked to a lot of people, and you, we're still seeing so much of the ripple effect uh, continue to have an impact. What, you know, what, because one, for in regards to domestic violence, there was, it was hard to capture because now people were trapped with their abusers yeah. during the pandemic. Uh, which, and I don't even know if we'll ever know the depths of that devastation. Well, I can give you an example. Uh, prior to the pandemic, we would have five to 10 children come stay with us in shelter per night. Um, in the fall of 2020, once people had been um, with a spouse for longer um, and there had been stress in that household, we started having women come to us on our doorstep in large numbers. We're at 107. So just look at that over yeah. the span of three, four years. It is wild, just the difference. At the same time, we we took the pandemic and turned that donkey into a unicorn and bought a hotel and renovated it and turned it into a place where now if you come for shelter, you have four walls yeah. and a door which is a heck of a lot better than um, a, a pad on the floor was wonderful and safe, but there were no walls. Uh, there was no privacy. You'd have to wait for showers. Um, and dignity. now you have your own room. There's dignity, there's safety, um, and there's ability to get to that next step. Oh, my God. It, it, it makes all the difference in the world. We're talking to April Redzik from, the, what's the title over at the... Two page pads. No, but your title. Oh, president and CEO. Boom! Hello! We're talking to the president <laughs> and CEO of DuPage Pads. I want to take a break here, but you can go to dupagepads.org to learn more about how you can participate if you know someone that is vulnerable and is in need of services. Uh, and if you want to, uh, you know, they have so many events coming up. Uh, it's Giving Tuesday tomorrow, so we'll talk a little bit about that when we come back. And uh, I will uh, take a. I also know we've got. Uh, and we've got some texts coming in, so I will take those. And we can open up the phone lines in case anybody has any questions. And let's take a break here on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. From the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer, like Biden beer, which is inoffensive and not bitter, and Extinct Elephant, a moderate red ale. Because you know those moderate Republicans seem to be going the way of the dodo. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to keep Wisconsin blue and drive the MAGA cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. To keep track of the good trouble we're making in Wisconsin and where to buy our beer, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our website, MonacoBrewingCompany.com. And drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Joining us in studio is the president and CEO, April Redzik, uh, who is with DuPage Pads. They are Wheaton-based DuPage. Uh, DuPage Pads uh, has remained a beacon of hope for those with little or no support while while experiencing homelessness. And tomorrow is Giving, Giving Tuesday. And we want to encourage folks to visit visit the website, dupagepads.org. That's dupagepads.org. And, uh, and it really is a good time of year. Do you have any, like, matching sponsors for Giving Tuesday? We do. We have a $30,000 matching sponsor. Congratulations. Um, and we're raising money to renovate rooms. So um, right now what we did was bought a Red Riffin, and it looks like 
what a former Red Riffin had looked like. We're working at uh, creating medically, like medical grade mattresses and bunks so that when we have a family come in, sure. multiple family members, they can all stay comfortably in the same space. And that's what we're raising uh, funds for is uh, redoing each room so people have a a place that's filled with dignity and hope as they look to end their homelessness toward a home of their own. And we talked about uh, folks who might be uh, in a domestic violence situation. You also mentioned uh, adults with developmental disabilities. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a lot of uh, coordinating services as well, isn't it? Yes. Uh, we were also talking about our friends at Little City uh, while we were off the air. Um, we work really closely with folks in the de- developmental uh and other disabilities categories, what we find often in shelter, and we're not alone in this, is people will be undiagnosed and now in their 60s because um, people didn't know what autism looked like. Folks mm-hmm. didn't know what a developmental disability nev- uh, necessarily looked like. And now they're older, don't have a familial support system, and really struggle to maintain employment and apartment of their own. So, um, yeah, it's real. It's very real. It's interesting you say that because I have to figure out how to communicate that to folks because, uh, and not just on the radio show, but in my day job, because this is the second time today it's come up where there is an undiagnosed population that we need to figure out how to support them as well. And it, you're not so just... You know, again, there's so much resistance, and this is not on April because it's in a, you know, sort of, let me separate this for a moment. People are like, ah, you know, why do, when I was at another station, people would call and be like, why do I got to pay for autistic kids? You are not, <laughs> I mean, it'd be the same thing as saying, why do I got to pay for the roads? You know, I don't use all the, whatever it is. You're not, it's not just simply one individual, it's their family, it's their neighbors, it's everybody that's, a, you know, it's, it's someone in your community. It's a, they're a human being. You know, it's it's a lot more. It, it reverberates throughout a community. I'll give you an example with Declan. You know, when we don't go to church, people notice that they're like, "Where's that? Hey, where's that? The little boy with the, you know, with the wheelchair." It's you know, we're members of the community too. And, yeah. And it's and it's heartbreaking to hear that we are not capturing uh, enough information. So we need to find a way, out a way to make sure we have that information so we can uplift those services. Agreed. Um, regardless of where you land on uh, services and payment of services, just in very practical terms, if you have someone and they don't have a place to stay and they are living uh, without shelter or without supports. Um, a, if they don't have whatever support is next, they're going to wind up in the shelter system, perhaps for a longer period of time and take up a bed that someone else will now not have. And then they're going to wind up freezing and in your ER. So in very practical terms, if you would like to get quicker to the doctor when you get in a car accident or break a leg, if your ER is less full, you will get faster services. Your ER is going to be less full if people don't freeze and lose limbs. And if we're going to put folks into a place where not only is it better for them to not freeze, period, but it also won't require the cost and the time of medical care, we need a place for people to safely go. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's so hard sometimes with people who are resistant. And I, I I often have to ask people to soften their hearts. If the cold, hard facts of not overwhelming our hospital system in, in the event, because this happened during COVID, I know, you know, there were hospitals that were 110, 120% capacity. Mm-hmm. And if there had been a catastrophic event, would not have had the ability to treat people. Meaning if they're in an ice storm, if there were, a, you know, 20 car pileup, you know, in a rural area, forget about it. And that's, that's true in so many parts of the country. Uh, and, and I agree. It's such a, a yeah, it's, uh, but people don't see that. They, they just, uh, I think part of it is that our brains don't like chaos, right? Or maybe it's fear or just wanting to not even look because people don't want to look, do they? They don't want to. 
They don't we see like that. Um, I, on the on the happier side, and I tend to be an optimist. I will also tell you there are a lot of kind people. Yes, who we see who do look. Um, and will call us when someone is on a street corner and asking for help, or they will see a tent. We actually have a program called Street Outreach where his name is Alex. He's a wonderful person. He will literally go out and check on someone. So you can call us, and they will check to see where people are. Uh, we have about 4,000 volunteers helping to make it possible. What? But it takes people who are 4, willing 000. to lend a heart yes. and lend a hand to make it happen. It makes a huge difference to do it. And yes, there is the emotional part, but also just financially, it is much less expensive to provide someone with a room for a night. We can put two people or a family in a room for $50 a night. That's much less expensive than a hotel, and it's oodles less expensive than the medical services they would need if they didn't have a safe place to stay. When you uh, you mentioned this off the air and just now about someone, you know, when they see, they check in with uh, an individual, maybe they see them uh, on, on a street corner. Uh, you mentioned calling. So this is, so we're not just only talking about DuPage pads uh, anywhere that you are. So find out, maybe keep, the, you know, a card in your pocket for uh, community services and say, hey, you know, I saw an individual, um, you know, over by the Jefferson Park bus terminal. So that you would recommend that you you ask them to check in on the people that are vulnerable. Yes. Um, in Chicago area and also in DuPage, you can also call 211 um, and or encourage them to even better encourage them to call 211 for resources. What I do um, is I will get a Dunkin Donuts gift card and I will give it with the with the access number. And so when I encounter someone and they're seeking help, I'll, I'll say, hey, I'll roll down my window and I say, hey, can I give you a gift card? No one says no. It's lovely. If it's cold out, you can go get a coffee. And then I give them that with the contact information, get some help. And it feels very warm and welcoming. It's a nice way to help. And it does it not only solves their immediate problem, but creates trust, so they're more willing to call later. See, so smart. And this was uh, Pastor Jackie in the community uh, mentioned this before. Uh, she she has uh, McDonald's cards as well, gift cards, so that they both can get a cup of coffee and use a bathroom. Yeah, as a customer, because you know a lot of places don't let people use the bathroom, and and that's another. We're talking about dignity. That's another aspect to it is taking care of yourself in a bathroom. Once we purchased the hotel, we had a gentleman come in who used to come into us uh, with street outreach, and he took four baths. It's the first thing he did. And the reason why is because in a lot of traditional shelters, you get a slot of time, and there's a time limit for how long you can shower, because otherwise everyone can't do it by right. the end of the day. We we used to have families come in in the morning and have their kids shower in our our locker room and then start the day at school. So it is. It's the small things that you take for granted that make so much difference. Having a legitimate coffee pot, like a real coffee pot instead of instant coffee or a tiny little coffee maker. Another thing, you don't realize the joy that is there right. until you don't have it. It's huge. Yeah, that's incredible. And I uh, I know that you mentioned uh, before we took a break, uh, the food pantries that are in need of resources right now as well. Agreed. Um, we received some help from Northern Illinois Food Bank and uh, West Suburban Food Pantry and a couple other of our partners, Loaves and Fishes, out in Naperville. Um, all of them, and ourselves included, are short food. And the cost of food has gone up a ton. So um, it, uh, DuPage Foundation did an event about food pantries and the need for food. And a couple of people asked me why it was the first thing I signed up to attend was this event, because they're so intertwined. If you are living near poverty level and you can barely make your rent and your groceries double, you're in trouble. So you need to be able to get to a food pantry. Most food pantries don't have enough food to give out five bags of food. It's gone down to four or three simply because they don't have the amount. Um, so I will 
tell everyone far and wide, support your local shelter, support your local food pantry, especially during the winter. It's hugely important and very intertwined. I am so grateful for the information, and I and I want to encourage folks uh, to take that down. I think the things that we've learned so far, one, go to dupagepads.org uh, and find out more, how you can volunteer, support the work that they do. Uh, if you know someone who is uh, is without shelter or you are experiencing uh, vulnerability to uh, your, where you live, uh, keep that information. Uh, if you can, if you are able to carry around gift cards from a Dunkin' Donuts or McDonald's, whatever the, you know, in our area, I, we've got both, um, and we have a population that you know, I think that in this area, I mean, there's 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 a push and pull, but I think for the most part, we seem to be going okay. You know, people are checking in on them. Like we have neighborhood groups, so that's another place to go too. People who are, have these neighborhood groups and they're like, hey, has anyone seen the woman who's usually at the bus shelter? Right, and, and it's it's interesting. I kind of I observe and, and help where I can financially is is what I can do, and and there's no shame in that, right? Like not everybody can go, and but you can do food sorting. You can help with cleaning. You can help with uh, uh, again with making a donation. Um, oh, Paul in Seattle. Oh, do you have headphones? Let me see if those headphones. There's a, there's a little white knot. Um, in front of the red light because uh, we have a caller who's joining the conversation. If you need to adjust the volume, uh, you can use that white knob. Hey, Paul in Seattle, the host of the Kitchen Table Progressives on Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Hey, Paul, you're on with me and and, uh, and April Redzik from DuPage Pads. What's up? Hi, Daddy. Hi, April. Um, you know, you were talking a few minutes ago about uh, disabled people and people say, well, why do we have to pay for that? And here's my perspective because I happen to be blind. And I have a little experience with it, and I realized probably when I was in my late 20s, um, one of the things people think, first of all, is, well, if you're blind, how come you don't know all of it? You, know, you should know everything about what you need. And it's like, no, this, this is my first rodeo. I've only been mm-hmm. blind once. Right. And I'm not, I don't say I'm not a blind person. <laughs> I'm a person who is blind. So and essentially, disabled people are standard bearers of many human frailties that could happen to anyone at right. any time. Right. So it's like, it's not like we're the set-asides. Oh, why should we help you? Are, are you working? Or not? No, this could happen. Any, yes. any disability could happen to anyone at any time. And so, like I said, I'm, I don't consider myself a blind person. I consider myself a person who happens to carry that, that part of the standard, right? Right. Of, of, of the example or it's the human experience. The human experience is one of frailty in many ways. It's right. also one of uh, much gratitude and, and, and many other things. But uh, if anybody doesn't think so, that uh, can happen to anyone at any time. Correct. And the things that really matter uh, about those things is, are the the type of onset, the age of onset, the type of onset, whether it's fast or it's a little bit protracted as mine was, you know, I could really fake it for a long, long time. Sure. People just thought I was drunk. Well, a lot of times I was, but, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, it's kind of like, it was very funny. I, I can remember one time I was, you know, in a, in a bar watching football with my friends. I mean, I'm listening to the game, but I came back to the table from the bathroom and they said, now you are cut off because, You've had too much. I said, what? And they said, yeah, you're uh, holding on to chairs. You're holding on to the walls on the way oh, to the bathroom. Man. And, and my, my whole, all my friends said, he's blind. And they went, oh, 
oh, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. And then they proceeded to serve me, like, way after it. <laughs> they should have never served me as much as they did. Right. But it's kind of like, you know, we all have to, those of us who have disabilities uh, have to set an example. We are the standard bearers, and it could happen to anyone, uh, you know, depending on what age you are and how rapid your disability comes on can really be uh, a significant, are, are the main significant factors in disability. And people who don't know disabled people, and here's the reason, you probably, I've said to people, you probably don't know another blind person other than me. And and the reason is where you meet most of the people that you know are at work. And yep. this yep. statistic that 69% of all disabled people across the socioeconomic uh, spectrum, 69% are unemployed. Yeah, exactly. So you're not going to come. Four out of five blind people are unemployed. So if you don't see them at work, you probably don't know them. Exactly. You don't know their experiences. You don't know who they are. You don't know anything about them. Right. You don't have any, any that immediate interaction. Thank you so much for that perspective, Paul. We really appreciate sure. that. Thank you so much. Have a good night. You bet. I, I've got I've to make sure we wrap up with uh, with April before we go. Um, is there anything you, I know, you can stay. I have an interview at 6. If you want to hang out, we can continue talking at 6.30. No, I'm good. I'm good. I can, um, I can relate so much to what Paul's saying yeah. about people making assumptions. Um, we see that so often with people who come in uh, and need services is folks just assume one thing, and it's not an at all accurate um sometimes listening is so much wiser than just assuming you know and i think he made a great example of that i appreciate that i agree i agree completely it's an idea that you you know you tend to know most people from work and as you mentioned the population that is employed uh with a disability is uh it it, it pales in comparison that's another thing we're striving for uh before we go was there anything you want to make sure was anything we left on the table that you haven't had a chance to say because i hate for anyone to leave and go oh you know i forgot to say um, really grateful for your time. Oh. Um, I will add, um, I talked a lot about kids. Uh, you and I come together at kids uh, yeah. because uh, we got to know each other at kids above all. However, um, the average age, lifespan of someone who's experienced chronic homelessness is 50. Um, so I just want to put that out there. The, the, the difference we can make by getting folks into a safe place to stay is astronomical. And when we don't, it is life destroying we the the need both medically and otherwise just to have a safe place is so huge and i really appreciate your time so we could shine some light on it i appreciate it april we want you to come back uh we can do a whole hour too because we can i know that i know that people probably want to join the conversation as well so when your schedule allows and our good friend that was supposed to be here and we wish him the best recovery double pneumonia yeah, oh, Chad. Chad, Hi, Chad, we're thinking about you. Sorry, Chad. We'll see you next time. Well, I will set something up in the next few weeks when both of you can can hang out. We'll do a panel. Sound good? Wonderful. Thank you Excellent. so much Thank for your you, time. Thank you, April. Again, it's dupagepads.org. Uh, when we come back, we'll continue the show on WCPT820 Heartland Signal. Uh, we have an, a guest that uh, I'm looking forward to as well. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, we're going to talk about baseball. I know. I know. It's a good time of the year for it. But there's a book you might want to pick up for the holidays. We're going to talk about a Negro Leagues historian and an honor for Father's Legacy. We're going to talk to our friend Vanessa Ivy Rose. More after this on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. 
Hello, hello, and I want to say hi to our friends in Minneapolis, St. Paul, listening on KTNF 950 AM. Uh, many of you know that uh, I grew up loving baseball in uh, no small part because my father loved baseball and he loved baseball history. And uh, I don't know if he knew about our guests. Uh, grand, was it your great-grandfather? We're talking to Vanessa Ivy Rose, the granddaughter of Negro Leaves star Norman Turkey Stearns, who, by the way, hit more than <laughs> better than 300 for 15 seasons. And she's making sure that people not only know about him, but many of the extraordinary players. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Oh no, I think we have a we have a fuzzy line. Can you can we uh, do you have a better spot, Vanessa? Uh, sure, let me try. Oh, hi, hi. <laughs> yes, I can hear you a little bit better. Let's see. Okay. Yes. Is that better? That is much better. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, How are you doing today? How was your Thanksgiving? Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm I'm great. You know, we call it Turkey Day over here since that's uh, also my granddad's nickname. (laughs) So it was was a great day, a day of, you know, giving thanks. And there's so much to be thankful for, especially with the podcast out and people knowing about the Negro Leagues now. So very overwhelmed with gratitude. It was awesome. How was yours? Ours was very cozy. We had a very quiet Thanksgiving and uh, like you, I mean, like just celebrating uh, some of the, you know, our family and, uh, and telling stories. And, and the, you know, I have, uh, my son is a, is a history major. I'm a history major. We, we love finding out about okay. things that a lot of people maybe don't know about. And that's why I was uh, so delighted that my friend Jerry booked you for the show, uh, our, co- our co-producer, um, because yeah. this is something that I, I have to imagine and that it's it's hard almost to convey to young people how many stories are lost to time because of the color of someone's skin or their gender or who they loved, right? It's it's one mm-hmm. of those things where we need voices like yours. And uh, and tell us, first of all, a little bit about when you were growing up. What did you know about your grandfather? Well, fortunately, my grandmother um, was with us and she was married to my granddad. I never met my granddad because he passed away in 1979. And I wasn't born until four years later. And so, yeah, I him as a person and as a player. And so I asked her so many things. And she was a teacher um, as well. So she naturally and organically just shared stories about not just him, but about sports in general and then history and everything under the sun. Uh, you know, she was a wealth of knowledge. But she definitely let me know that, you know, my grandfather was baseball royalty and that he lived during a time of, you know, intense discrimination and segregation. So, unfortunately, he didn't get his accolades while he was alive. He didn't really get any recognition. And that pretty much came posthumously. But um, as I continued to grow up, especially after she passed away, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I had the, you know, the torch was passed down to me, essentially. And my mom and my aunt are still here to continue to advocate for my grandfather and for the Negro Leagues, of course. Um, but being one of the younger ones in the family, I have to make sure for black excellence and the Negro Leagues and especially my grandfather's legacy. So I've done a lot of advocacy through writing and speaking and uh, now with the podcast and, of course, through teaching. But this has just been a, a fantastic opportunity to bring all the things together that I love because I also was an athlete, too. So I'm just really happy to be able to spread this knowledge and to help people understand more about these hidden figures. What what sport do you play? What are you? What's your what's your field? I was a hooper, so oh. I, I definitely played basketball in college. Um, I like to say I still am. The, the students know by my sneakers. 
uh, when they see me, they're like, okay, your shoe collection's <laughs> off the chain. So we know you have to be an athlete. I'm like, yeah, I still have that three-pointer ready to go. So anytime, you know, I take on the challenge anytime. <laughs> and so you never played baseball or softball or it was just kind of on the side? So growing up, I did. I played in middle school, but because, you know, I really wanted to focus on playing in college and I yeah. knew I was getting really serious about it. So I was like, you know what, let me focus on one sport. Um, and so I always like to say, you know, uh, baseball is in my blood, but basketball is life too. So. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> and and so, so you know, learning more about the Negro Leagues, because I, you know, I think that for even me, you know, even for myself, I, I know that, you know, the Negro Leagues ex- existed. I've never really thought much about how players came together because they were shut out from Major League Baseball. Can you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about the the sort of relationships that were built in order to create these very successful leagues? Yeah, so, you know, in 1920, Rube Foster created the National Negro League, which is what most people have, you know, come to know about since they start researching. But, you know, baseball goes back even before that, too, as well. Um, And so he wanted to create this opportunity for players to thrive, essentially, because they were excluded from baseball due to segregation. And, you know, Jim Crow was so heavily prevalent that, Honestly, just existing as a black person seemed like it was illegal and very dangerous during that time. So um, the fact that they actually actively and intentionally chose to create the Negro Leagues to spread joy, to spread awareness, to cultivate joy, and to continue to represent black excellence is something that I'm very proud of. Uh, you know, uh, a, a great deal because there are people who, you know, were employed within that space and that was helping the black community to thrive. So. Later on, when integration happened and Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier during 1947, um, you know, the Negro Leagues ended up kind of dissolving. And, you know, the best players were taken from mm. the Negro Leagues. And some of the players who were incredible didn't even get to go on and play because of the fact that there was a quota system and because of the fact that there were so many other, you know, People just didn't anticipate, I think, leading into that. Right. And um, so, you know, there's a lot of players who were left behind, too, as well, even though we have the, the great story of Jackie Robinson. Oh, man. I, we're, again, we're talking to Vanessa Ivy Rose. She's an author, storyteller, and educator. And uh, and I, I don't think I would want to be on the basketball court with you. I also, I, we, <laughs> Vanessa, this is my favorite thing to tell people about my basketball skills. I played until eighth grade. My coach, okay. I, was, I was the tallest on my team, so I was a center. And uh, he, my coach said, whatever, he goes, uh, pass or shoot, for the love of God, whatever you do, don't dribble. So... <laughs> I, I really, I really enjoy telling basketball players that. <laughs> See, if I was playing with you, I would have helped you out because I was point guard and shooting guard combo, so we would have made a great team. I laugh about it, but I'm like, I mean, this guy had me from when I was 11 till I was 13. He couldn't give me some, you know, guidance with dribbling and and moving left foot, right foot. So, but uh, right, he's like, hey, I, I can't teach you. You got to learn on your own. Yeah. Right? So, well, I, I also, uh, you know, without having any abilities, uh, you know what you, you go to, and I got, I fouled out a lot. Let's just say that. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, you were aggressive. You were aggressive. It's cool. <laughs> I compensated. I took care of the girls on the court. Uh, a few elbows here and there. Um, but we were talking to Vanessa about her new podcast. Uh, it's an ABC podcast, Reclaimed the Forgotten League. Uh, she's been teaching in public education for 17 years. And I, and I have to say, I mean, w- what is it like when kids learn? Because, look, I was dumbfounded when I watched Major League. I'm sorry, League of Their mm-hmm. Own in the 90s. I was like, mm-hmm. what? Yeah, same. Yeah. 
one of my favorites too. For yeah. sure, there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball, <laughs> and and it's interesting. Now, have you have you seen the the series on Amazon? Because I know that they have incorporated yeah. uh, women of color in that series as well. And uh, and yeah, yeah. In fictional, okay, go, go no, you go ahead because I mean, fictionalizing it, it helps tell the story too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and they did have uh, one of the main characters in the story was actually a black woman. And so she was trying to play on um, a men's team. And, uh, you know, so there was like this connection to the Negro Leagues, too, as well. I mean, it was mentioned very few times, um, but you could tell that she definitely was there to showcase her skills and she wanted to get in the mix there. And obviously, you know, segregation and discrimination played a huge role in her not being able to play where she belonged. So she didn't get to play with the white players who were playing. Um, in the a League of Their Own series. And so I think that probably woke up the audience, too, as well. Like, wait a minute. So there were black players? Because, you know, in the movie, we only saw the one black woman when the ball went out, you know, yeah. into, into the uh, outskirts there, and she picks it up and rifles it back, <laughs> you know, and gives that look like, mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah, I'm here, too, right? And, like, it doesn't even have a line, you no. know? It doesn't even have one line. But that one scene is so iconic, and I'm like, man, you know, as a kid, I understood that, and I watched it, but I didn't think about the Negro Leagues and whose voices have been silenced. And I'm the da- the granddaughter of Turkey Stearns, and, you know, that was just a kid watching it, so I didn't really fully understand the context. Um, but, I mean, now, obviously, students can watch those films and learn so much and watch the new series, too, and learn so much as well, and hopefully listen to the podcast. Yes, listen to the podcast. What uh, what kind of reaction are you getting from listeners? I know you started a month ago. I mean, we're yeah. we're living in a time when they're trying to restrict the history that we tell, and so having a platform really is magnificent. And I'm, I really congratulate you. What has what have you heard from folks? Yeah, thank you. Um, so everyone has been astounded. First of all, like when I talk to teachers. They're coming up to me and saying, Vanessa, I had no idea about any of this history. And I teach history for a living. Like, how did I not know this? I'm like, yeah, exactly. Mainstream, you know, channels that we watch. And if you watch ESPN or Sports Illustrated, reading that, right? Um, I mean, it was not really mentioned that often. So uh, this has been, you know, uh, a a situation where we have had hidden figures for quite some time. Um, And especially because there's no footage or not much footage of the new release, then, you know, that's another issue that um, I think has definitely impacted people's understanding. But um, overwhelmingly, people have been extremely happy with this in terms of learning more, um, feeling excited about it, wanting to do some deep dives on their own. Uh, People have been crying. Episode five is the episode that makes people very emotional because there's a lot of personal connections for me as the host talking about my family and talking about you know, my grandfather's journey with baseball and, and the end of his story in terms of the, the end of his life and what happened after um, being a part of the podcast to, um, you know, her speeches in there. So just hearing her voice and hearing my mom and my aunt and hearing my grandfather's voice, too, as well, with uh, some secret tape that ABC found for me. Uh, it was super emotional for me, and I'm really glad that that connected with the audience, too, where they started thinking about you know, there are some people said I learned more about myself and then also about my own family. It made me want to deep dive into learning about my grandfather. And so to hear from strangers 
all of the nation talking about, you know, how the, the, the personal connections that they made and the emotion that they've been feeling and uh, the history that they've been exploring since they listened to the podcast has been phenomenal. Uh, you gave me the chills just thinking of, you know, ABC bringing you audio for, uh, for your family to hear is just, that's incredible. Yeah, it's like hidden treasure, you know, especially for me. I, I had only heard my grandfather's voice once, um, multiple times on, that, you know, the same tape, right? Mm-hmm. But um, this tape was discovered um, by a, well, really a journalist named Joe LaPointe. Um, did an interview with my grandfather and my mom was there too um, in uh, the late seventies, just before he passed, because it was a Negro leagues reunion that, um, you know, was taking place and he wanted to be there to interview my grandfather. And so this tape, he, he actually still had it. Um, and another friend of ours that is uh, also a journalist too, uh, Dave Mezzer, he ended up getting the tape restored for my family and then uh, send it over to me. So that was my first time listening to my grandfather's voice, which I never thought I would even be able to do that because, you know, I can't have a conversation with him in person. There's no footage. There's no interviews. You know, there's no clips. We have an abundance of that stuff now, but you know, my favorite athlete, I've never heard his voice, you know, up until that point. So when I was able to listen to that for the first time, that really uh, moved me. And I, I was, had a lot of tears. But ABC even found another secret tape of Grandpa from that time that Joe LaPointe had still had stashed away in, in the vault somewhere. And uh, so I got to hear his voice again. Um, and I just, I'm so thankful to them, you know, for, for everything that's happened so far. But it's really been a beautiful experience. That's incredible. And here is a listener that wants to uh, uh, talk to ch- join our conversation. Uh, Jim, we're talking to Vanessa Rose Ivy. Did I get that right? I'm scrolling through all my information. Oh, wait, Vanessa Ivy Rose. Yeah, Vanessa, I knew I got it wrong. Vanessa Ivy okay. Rose, who's the granddaughter of Negro League star Norman Turkey Stearns. Uh, what do you want to say, Jim? I wanted to say that when the Negro League played the White League professionals, these are professional ball players. Negro League got the best of them, I think, uh, almost the two-thirds of the time. And what's interesting about that is if you're a scout or you're a coach, and you watch that, and you wonder yourself, why? Because these people, whatever their colors, if they're great baseball players, uh, it just shows you how uh, nutty uh, being a uh, ra- you know, racist is. Because if I watch a baseball game and – and the Negro League was beating the White League at two-thirds of the time. I figured, well, I better join you. If you can't beat them, join them. I just want to say that to your guest. Thanks, Jim. You know, anyway, thank you. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. Vanessa, I mean, and, and to that, there were people I remember who, well, I mean, we know a lot of the story of Jackie Robinson, whether it's been through books or movies. But when Hank oh. Aaron was chasing down Babe Ruth's record, like people were angry. Not and not because yeah. it was Babe Ruth's record that was falling. It was because it was a black man that was going to take it down, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think these levels of dehumanization run deep, right? If we look at our history, we can see, you know, what the issues have been with white supremacy, and you know, just excluding Major League Baseball players um, from, well, excluding Negro League players from the major leagues um, is not just about not letting them play baseball, right? It was like cease to exist. And if you look at the numbers um, during that time of not just statistics, but let's look at the numbers of people who were lynched 
during the Jim Crow era, it was in the thousands, right? So this yeah. was dangerous for them to play baseball during that time. Um, and I know there's so many great stories of joy and authenticity and perseverance. And of course we want to talk about those and highlight those things, but I think people really dig deep and look at the history of the Negro leagues in terms of people um, experiencing levels of dehumanization and racism. Um, it's going to be pretty ugly what you will find in terms of, you know, not letting them stop at a place to eat, you know, to get food or not letting them um, sleep in a hotel because of the color of their skin too. Right. And then, you know, there was times when Negro leaguers had to sleep in funeral parlors. So mm. there's so, there's so much there in terms of the story. And we, you know, we only had six episodes, so we didn't get to touch on every single thing that happened. Um, but if you talk to like, one of the remaining living Negro leaguers right now, Ron Teasley, um, he lives in Detroit. So I'd like to shout him out because he's an incredible icon and he played for the New York Cubans and he spent time with Jackie Robinson um, when he played on the, the farm team for the Dodgers. And he shared, you know, a story about how some of the players that were with him said, hey, you know, we're getting ready to ride down south and you may not know how to act. We need, we might need to put you in the trunk, oh. you know, because, you know, you can't speak to a police officer a certain way or a white person who's viewed as an authority a certain way. Right. And so he didn't end up riding in the trunk, but just the things that people had to think about to be safe when traveling or existing in a space as a black person. I mean, there's so many dehumanizing stories and um, no matter how great they were at hitting the ball, right, um, they were still black. And so they were not welcome. What was your sense uh, of, you know, what players were living through? What kept them going? I mean, is is it the love of the game? Is it this? This is what I, you know, I'm drawn to this uh, because, you know, we talk about like, oh, you know, well, it made them, you know, make somebody stronger to go through this trauma. And it's like, imagine if they didn't have the trauma, you know, all of this. Right, right, right. Let's remove the trauma. Yeah, you know, one thing I asked my grandmother repeatedly was, what did Grandpa Turkey say about racism? Because I just knew there was going to be this great story, right? Of, and maybe a story of him sharing some anger or bitterness or resentment, because I knew I was angry right. when I was learning about him as a young person. I'm like, come on, how come no one knows his name? You know, he's one of the greatest hitters in baseball, and all these great stories and statistics prove it. How come no one knows who Granddad is? That that did anger me as a young person. Um, and so I continuously asked her, and her answer was the same every single time. She said, he just said that's just the way things were. Mm. And at first I'm like, wow. So he just accepted that this racism would just continue and, you know, he was going to do his own thing privately and, and just excel as a baseball player and, and kind of accept that this was, you know, these were the cards he was dealt Um, But as I continued to grow older, and especially through doing all this research, I was like, you know what? Granddad had some incredible, um, he had the incredible, he had an incredible ability to evaluate his self-worth. And I think that internally, he understood external validation from anyone to be my best self. I give myself permission to be my best self. I give myself permission to thrive in the society that doesn't recognize me as human. And I think that's how he made it through. And I I think of that on my worst days or when I see things happen in society, like I see, you know, the issue with George Floyd or um, Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor, 
and it angers me. It hurts me. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, people like my granddad looked internally and kept going. Um, and they continued to build community and they continued to thrive and they continued to be their best self under any circumstances. So mm. I think there's a lesson in that. Oh, man. Uh, again, uh, you've got to check out Reclaimed, The Forgotten League. Uh, this is on ABC News audio series. And you can also you can find that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Audio or the ABC News app. And I know, as you mentioned, that your your grandfather uh, was one of the greatest hitters of all time. And the Major League Baseball League made a promise along with the National Baseball Hall of Fame, because uh, I've been there. I've been to Cooperstown and, you know, they have the immortals. Yeah. They have that hallway of with all the stats. And of course, you know, the Black Sox even have their own little room uh, with their Mm -hmm. records and things like that. Uh, Do you think, I mean, this is, this is another thing. Have you heard any developments? Because this could change the entire lineup of the 10 greatest ball players of all time. And and what, you know, what kind of reaction is that going to have from people? Yeah. Uh, Well, as you mentioned, you know, fans don't like necessarily to have their history or their traditions disrupted, right? Yeah. Um, And so with the announcement in 2020, the commissioner essentially said that, you know, the Negro leaguers are major leaguers and we are going to look at their stats and include them in the official record. So I was ecstatic when I heard that. I know my family was too, and I'm sure any fans of the Negro Leagues were ecstatic. Um, But then there was silence for three years and we didn't hear essentially anything um, before the podcast came out. We did know that there was going to be a committee to evaluate those stats and to continue that work. So we did break that news through the podcast. Um, but, you know, this is a recent development as of this year in terms of, you know, actually fulfilling that promise to include the stat. So, since three years have passed, we don't want to take too much more time, no. right? Because we have only a few Negro leaders left that really need to see this happen. And they deserve those flowers now. Um, you know, the fans, I think, are ready for this conversation. I think the world is ready for the conversation of inclusion and representation. Like you mentioned, we obviously have a long way to go since we're still trying to ban books and, you know, yeah. talking about, um, you know, whose history matters and, Obviously, all forms of oppression are connected, so we definitely have work to continue to do. But I think MLB can be a shining example of, you know, the power of sport and how this is bigger than baseball. So I'm hoping the commissioner gives us a timeline very soon and also gives us more information about his specific plan. I really am grateful for your work. Again, we've been talking to Vanessa Ivy Rose. Uh, she's, she traced the, the history of her grandfather, Norman Turkey Stearns, and the the origins of the Negro Leagues and the history. You can f- listen to the podcast, Reclaimed, The Forgotten League. I'd love to touch base with you again. Are, do you have another project that you want to tell us about? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, hopefully we'll have a bunch of projects that yeah. <laughs> will be in the works uh, but, you know, just right now, the book, um, I'm still definitely talking about the book that I wrote for my grandfather is dedicated to him and also to my grandmother, um, Hall of Fame DNA, The Legacy of Norman Turkey Stern, where I talk about a lot of the things that are mentioned in the podcast, but digging a little deeper into his personal history um, and also into, you know, what this means for MLB and, and what this means going forward, even if you don't like baseball, right? It's kind of the beauty of the podcast and also the book. And the, and the book is available anywhere you buy books. And that book is, uh, it's Hall of Fame DNA, The Legacy of Norman Turkey Stearns. Is that yours? Yes, yeah, that's it. 
Excellent. Excellent. That's a beautiful cover, too. Uh, hey, guys, you, this is a great book to pick up for the holidays. What a great time to, to support the work she does, uh, continue still telling these stories, and, uh, and learn something that you didn't know before because you didn't. I know you didn't know. <laughs> what, a, what a wonderful uh, journey. Thank you so much for doing the work that you do and for joining us today. It was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to talk to you. And listen, anytime you want to get on the court, two on two, <laughs> you and I can take anybody down. I got your back. No, I'll take your coaching. I'll take your coaching. I will. <laughs> I'm, I'm as tall as I was when I was a center at 13 years old. I'm five foot six. That's all I got. And I still can't dribble. Uh, <laughs> really, Nothing wrong with that. I look forward to meeting you in person sometime. We'll have to make our way to Detroit. But if you're in Chicago, don't hesitate to reach out, too. But we want to talk to you before, awesome. before either one of us travels. Let's get back on the phone again and uh, and share some more stories, okay? I would love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great holiday season. My best to your family. All right. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Thank Take you. care. That was incredible. Right. Thank you. Bye. That was incredible. All right. Let's take a break here. Uh, we'll, if you have any, if there's something you've been wanting to call about during the show, 773-763-9278. The phone lines are open, and I want to talk to you, see what's on your mind, what's on the news, what we've talked about so far. Uh, let's, let's chat more in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF 950 AM in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Hey there, it's your guy Warren Price from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200, that's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, before I launch into something that's been gnawing at me for a few days, and I, sometimes I, I kind of uh, have to twirl things around in my head to figure out how to articulate it when I come and join you guys, when we open the mic, and sometimes it means that I, that I get angrier than I was initially. But uh, before I do that, I want to uh, make sure I get to this text. I hope that Dr. Jason Bissell is still listening because uh, I couldn't write a commercial this well for the, the uh, work that he does at, at uh, Chicago Community Acupuncture. Uh, from the 312, I was listening to the end of your interview as I was driving home. I wish I could have gotten this text off sooner. I went to Chicago Community Acupuncture a couple weeks ago just before traveling to the Middle East, and it was like a miracle cure for the neck pain that had been fr- had frozen my neck muscles solid. So I'll be going back for sure. Love your show. I love you. Thank you to 312. Um, and so before I get worked up and all the muscles in my neck lock up, I'm going to take a deep breath because uh, there is a... Uh, okay. I was at a political fundraiser recently. And typically when I go to a fundraiser, uh, I generally go to fundraisers for Democrats. And this, I believe, I don't know, but uh, this guy came up to me and introduced himself. And there were several things that bothered me. Uh, He was very nice and very jovial and said he listens to the show, told me he was a judge, and then told me that our politics don't align, but he still likes me anyway. <sighs> There's so many things that were wrong with that. Uh, when you introduce yourself as a judge and then tell me that you're a conservative, uh, I, don't, I, I shouldn't know your politics. I mean, I know that we do because judges are appointed politically uh, unless they uh, you know, run through elections. And, th- and I know I, I just I, I don't want to know that, I guess. I don't want to know that. Uh, but 
also, I was thinking as he walked away, you know, I don't get confrontational. I tend, I try not to get confrontational, especially at fundraisers, uh, especially when it's a friend of mine that's running. And I'm sure there were just a lot of people with a lot of backgrounds. But when I hear the words, our politics don't align, um, you know, I, I, I guess if I was going to have a longer conversation, I would ask, what do you mean by that? Uh, and then get into it. Because when I hear that, because the things that I stand for, I stand for labor. I stand for work, fighting for workers' rights. I, I fight for women's autonomy to make choices for our bodies, uh, which means I support the right to access to abortion. And I mean that because it is health care. 30 to 40 percent of pregnancies will result in a miscarriage, which then necessitates in many instances an abortion, which women can't get because there are states where it doesn't they, they won't do that. Because they had to check with the lawyers first and doctors are afraid. And <laughs> told you, my muscles in my neck were going to lock up. Uh, I, I fight for equality and access to education for everyone, whether that's pre-K through college. Uh, there's so many things that I fight for, for voters' rights, um, for pushing back against corporate greed and power and how it infiltrates every aspect of our life. You know, we the president gave a speech, and I mentioned this last week, when we talk about, you know, inflation. Well, now they are artificially inflated because there's price gouging, which I suspected as much going back months. And once, you know, we started paying that much, why would they lower the prices? What's changed for them? They're making a profit. It doesn't matter what else is happening globally. (laughs) Anyway, these are the things that I've been twirling around in my head. Um, and, and I guess the one one of the things that jumps out for me as I was coming in tonight, there was a story I read about how uh, the Idaho uh, legislature is going to uh, is going to so Idaho is going to ask they did today ask the Supreme Court to allow its state abortion ban that imposes penalties on doctors who perform abortions to take full full effect despite federal requirements for emergency room doctors. So they want to eliminate any ability for a doctor to perform medically necessary treatments for a woman who, for whatever reason, needs to have her uterus, I'm sorry, have her uterus evacuated, evacuated. whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm so tired of having to have this conversation about whether it's a miscarriage or a fetus that will not survive or if the, you know, if there's a rape or incest involved or if a woman does not want to be pregnant in her first trimester, the lies that people have gotten away with have convinced people uh, all these horrific images and, and yet we can't, like, we're not going to show the images of a woman who is in sepsis because she can't carry because she's dying from a pregnancy. Um, anyway, that's I just very ang- I just got very angry today, and I think I'm I'm trying not to be frustrated with all this uh, in- information that I. I consume almost, I feel like it's involuntary. Like there, I, I am on social media, you know, sometimes for entertainment, sometimes for news, sometimes to share information about our show or try to promote something. Um, but I'm just, I'm seeing so many Democrats who are saying that they, they can't, they don't think they can vote for Biden. And, and I'm like, we have got to get our act together. You are not voting. You know what? At this point, 
forget it. You are not voting for Trump or for Biden. You are voting for democracy or fascism. I know that people think that that sounds too extreme. Or you know, No, I, I, I can't. If we see what's going on around the world, and I think uh, Joan and Professor Ostro did a great job of talking about this last in the last show about the extreme right elements, the right wing elements of uh, the Israeli uh, government uh, and the population that that if what's what happened in Argentina with their election, what's happening in other parts. I think in uh, there's another country that just elected a, a far, far right winger because globally there is this uh, this energy, this momentum of isolationism, of not wanting anyone that looks different or believes differently. And I and I feel like uh, we are creating just generations of retribution, of just wanting to get back at each other, back and forth. And, and I remember whenever Democrats would have uh, power in the House, uh, or I'm sorry, in the in um, on the Capitol, they would say, "Well, we can't, we can't get rid of the filibuster, or we can't, uh, you know, push this through because then what if they do it when they're in office?" And we, we always try to think of what the next thing is without. I guess, contemplating, if we don't do this now, it will, nothing will matter later. No, it, it doesn't matter. You know, we have sat by and been like, well, we don't want to be mean like that. And, and I'm not saying we have to be mean like anybody else, but we certainly have to be, uh, we have to be so deep in our beliefs and knowing that what we stand for is freedom, is for justice, is for making sure that people's lives improve. And I and yeah, that is through government programs. We talked to our friend April earlier today about veterans. I mean, about people with intellectual disabilities, about survivors of domestic violence. Uh, a lot of these programs, while there are philanthropic organizations that are providing resources, it cannot get done without the support of our federal government and of our state governments and of our local municipalities. And you know, the idea that the Republicans have. Uh, for over 40 or 50 years worked to diminish our faith in our government institutions. They defund all these programs so they can say, oh, look, it doesn't work. Well, of course it doesn't work. It took all the money away. And year after year, you know, there are budgets that are drawn up. They say, okay, this is what we're going to do for for senior services. This is what we're going to do for uh, after school programs. And they set that money aside. And this happened. This is (laughs) one of the biggest reasons I'm in this chair right now is because just guys, just eight years ago, we elected a governor by 72 percent, by the way. For the same reason people voted for Trump was, well, you know, it's got to be better than this. Maybe the business guy, maybe maybe this guy Rauner uh, can do a better job. And what did he do? The first thing he did was he eliminated funding for like forestry and parks and things like that. And you know what? Nobody did anything because, you know. Trees don't protest. And the second thing he did was on April 3rd in 2015, he slashed programs across the state, $26.2 million to the autism program of Illinois, meals on wheels, after school programs. And within days, because we think, oh, well, you know, they'll, maybe they'll find some way to shore up their funding and, and keep their doors open. Within days, places like Easter Seals was clocking their doors and saying, you know what? We don't know if we're going to have enough money to keep this program going. So I know that your kid just learned how to wave last week and they're seven years old. Well, you know what? Tough. We're done. We, we The doors are locked. We can't even let you in. And I know that your kid relies on the, the, you know, the schedule and the consistency. Tough luck. And 
and I mentioned this earlier that people would call on a previous radio show. Why do I, why do I got to pay for kids to learn how to wave? Holy, I mean, why pay for anything? I guess. Uh, and that's that's what Republicans, the way I see it, and in my opinion, uh, conservatives have gotten that message across that we shouldn't invest in improving people's lives. And one of the things that I learned when I was in Springfield is that we do have champions there. And sometimes they're just yelling into the wind. Uh, one of the reasons I'm good friends with Senator Dan Katowski, who's now the president and CEO of Kids Above All, is, you know, he won. He stood on the floor of that General Assembly and asked everyone, are you willing to let people die? Because when you invest in people, you save lives. And and yet, what, all the people that, that wave the Bible, including the former president who had it upside down, but first tear gas people so he could get in front of that church uh, so he can make this uh, Christian statement. Uh, they wave that Bible. They, oh, we've got to get prayer in the schools. And you know why we have shootings is because we won't let Jesus in. I don't know what, I don't know what your, uh, you know, your divinity uh, is like, but I would think that the walls of a school wouldn't be enough to keep uh, your, you know, keep Jesus out. And yet they want prayer in, but they don't want school lunches. They don't want to make sure that kids have a meal, that they uh, that they are fed, that they are that they have clothing, that they have shelter. You know, the uh, we, I am all over the place, Paul. I will keep going. I'm just I'm just I've been be, I've been boiling about this all weekend. Our politics don't align. You know what? Our morals don't align. And my morals are providing for people who need it the most. Uh, you know, people get mad about, you know, I, why do I got to pay? I got to pay my taxes. It's not that, look, you're going to pay the taxes. What we want to know is that it's going to help people, whether it's our police and fire, whether it's our hospitals, uh, our services, you know, supporting vets. Veterans for a party that says that they are all about waving the flag and supporting the military. They were ready to vote against making sure that they had everything they needed, including, uh, you know, exposure to chemicals. Uh, You know, (laughs) it's just unconscionable. Uh, But I also spent way too much. Can you tell I spent too much time on. So, Paul, can you tell I'll put your can you tell I spent too much time on social? Do you spend time on social media? Do you uh, do you get do I I go in doses on social media. I try yeah. not to get too amped up on things. And if I notice myself getting worked up, I kind of pull away. Yeah, I had to do that. Also, uh, I've gotten very, I can't see you. Uh, I've gotten very, uh, I will, I, I, I'm at the point now where I have to report the Nazism. I, I just, you guys, it is unleashed. I, 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 I don't know. I want to quit Twitter, but I can't. I can't quit it. I should, shouldn't I? I can't quit it either. I mean, it's still a valid news source for breaking news if you have people on the scene. But it's just, you see those blue check marks, you know, yeah. and someone has this this <laughs> crazy opinion and you see the blue check mark and then you click on it. It's like 200 followers. Yes. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, a sheeple that needs people to, you know, it's like, but you paid for a blue check mark. And then they usually have just some sort of crazy opinion. Uh, well, I and I what I do now is I'm like, oh, I got to see what this guy's feed is like. Like you said, you see that they have 100 followers, 39 followers. And and look, I'm not I'm not dismissing people who don't have a lot of followers. It's when you put hatred and all these nasty things online. Like I saw a um, and, and pay to be uh, considered yeah, valid. Exactly. And so yesterday, one of the news outlets reported what the snowfall was in Chicago. And somebody, like, the stupidest thing, but I had to know, they put, uh, sounds like a, the size of a Democrat's 
penis. Like, right? I'm like, what? How, what is, I don't even know what the, what is that. So I'm like, I gotta check this guy out. And like his the pinned post was of a German plane, like a lift of it, whatever. And it was all about how intolerance is necessary. Eliminate the enemy. I'm like, <laughs> they're invoking Nazism. Yes. I mean, how do we go from snow to penis size in relation to snowfall to eliminate? Anybody? I don't have the answer, but I'm sure Sigmund Freud might. That is just wild. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't know if I belong there anymore. Do you, do you? Is there one you use more than others, like Instagram or Facebook? Unfortunately, I know you like you're not old enough to be me. <laughs> and I won't get rid of it because there's just certain people that I only know through Facebook, and I keep in touch with them that way. But there's been many times where I just like look at the the vast wasteland of opinions on Facebook, oh and it seems God. to be grumpy old white men. So, yeah. yeah, I mute a lot. I've been muting a lot of people that I know that I'll see stupid things. Uh, but, you know, what's funny is when I was on another station with uh, Scott Santos, who was a regular then, uh, and I bet him, I told him I thought that Trump was going to win because of what I had seen for years during Obama's presidency, the hatred, the racism. It was all there. It was you know, but I just kind of felt like they were cockroaches in a glass jar. There wasn't like they could keep crawling and spewing stupid things. But but then it was Trump that opened the lid on that jar. It, it's because they finally organized behind one, uh. you know, golden calf. And it happened to be Donald Trump, unfortunately. I, and that I'll never understand the appeal. Why? Why? Yeah. People are willing to go the lengths that they do for that guy, because I've I've always known him as a failure. And I remember that failed 2000 presidential run that he did where he just bowed out before, I think it was even before the New Hampshire primary. It just (sighs) wasn't, wasn't feeling it. Wasn't going to make any headway in the reform party and then buried that thought for years until finally, apparently they all needed to rally around him. Yeah. uh, I blame the apprentice. Because uh, no, well, yeah. nothing gave him as big of a megaphone as that show did. And people thought it was funny that he was mean. I never got that. But I, I, I just have never, it just never appealed to me. You know, mean, he's a fraud. He was always been a fraud. So there's a video on YouTube uh, when he, when they, they were, they were trying to decide whether or not he could have Trump on the side of the tower in Chicago. And I was yelling at it across the river, but we also interviewed, I was like, you know, we may as well put a toupee on it or whatever stupid stuff. But I also interviewed people and a lot of people thought it was stupid, but a lot of people were like, Oh, I know. I really like it. I just, I just, it was like, is this before he ran? I'm like, what, what, why, why do you, this is just, it's just so gaudy. See, and I don't know. I, I, the only Trump thing I remember in terms of like the way people reacted to him. So I went to a, a Cubs versus White Sox game at Wrigley field back in 2000 and they already, they have the celebrity, you know, conductor of the seventh inning stretch. It was Donald Trump, but I remember it was a chorus of booze the entire time yeah. and I was trying to figure out you know oh did he say something what was it but and I think that predates The Apprentice maybe by by about a year or so but just people did not like the fact that he was there and it's I I never thought at that moment that you know two and a half decades later he would be the president of the United uh, States uh, yeah I don't it's it's wild it is very wild do I do I just do all my breaks here and just sign off now right because I think we're out we of time do that. let me see we're doing an on-air meeting 30 it's a minute 30 it's like two minutes. Uh, it's almost there. I can, <laughs> I can. Let me see. If you were a liberal in the deep South a hundred years ago, and flash forward to now, I bet the beliefs aren't far off on religion. And I'm not sure. I don't know how to interpret that. Me neither. But thank you for the for the the insight. Uh, the Southern. If you were a liberal. 
a hundred years ago. Uh, oh, maybe their religious beliefs and being a liberal were more in a line. No, wait. Than conservatives that say that. I don't. Yeah, I'm not. I sure. don't know either. I mean, but I I always assume that the South was very religious. I mean, that's the the Bible Belt. Well, there's always that uh, you know. Oh, bless his heart. You know, just like that kind of saying a nice thing, but it's being dismissive. Yeah. Sort of a yeah. Uh, I I. It's funny because I do well when I do comedy in the South. Um, is once I get past the last name Vasquez and that I'm a woman standing on stage, then we do okay. Okay, <laughs> we do all right. Well, thank you, Paul. What, are you back in on Friday? Yes. Excellent. Thank you very much. Good to see you. Hope Good did you have a you good too. Thanksgiving. Yes. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Excellent. Wonderful. It's, it's, we're heading into a wonderful time of year. Let's let's find some good things along the way. Uh, you guys take care of yourselves. Have a great night. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we'll have Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation Area checking in with us. I know there's a lot going on in Wisconsin. Bye, everyone.